Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on vacation this week. On today's show, a new art exhibit is launching tonight with part of the proceeds going to the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. We'll speak to local artist Roger Lafreniere about his exhibition titled I Remember. We'll also speak with Wendy Shetler, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, and she'll join us to talk about how fundraisers like those help the Alzheimer's Society provide valuable resources and services supporting Manitobans affected by Alzheimer's and other dementias. Then, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter and First Lady Rosalind Carter are in town today helping to build affordable houses right here in Winnipeg. We'll speak to Sandy Hopkins, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, to learn more. And Christy Nickel and Christine Ahrens of A Winnipeg Slice will join us to talk about a couple of the stories that they've been working on this week. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and for the next few weeks, solo. My co-host Nolan Bicknell, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is on a well-deserved vacation for the next few weeks. He's uh, starting, it's a little bit of an adventure for him. He's uh, starting off in Japan and then going to Australia. So, Nolan, hope you have a wonderful vacation, a wonderful time out there. Have a safe trip, enjoy, and we'll see you when you get back. But for the time being, we have a fantastic show for you lined up this week. So many stories to get to. We're going to start things off by speaking with artist Roger Lafreniere about his new exhibition called I Remember. That is launching this evening. But before we get to that, we always have to start the show off with a song. So here are the Supremes with Back in My Arms again right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here on location at Fleet Galleries, right in the heart of the Exchange District. And I am now joined by Roger Lafreniere. He is an artist with a exhibition that is opening this evening here at Fleet Galleries. It's called I Remember, and we're going to learn a little bit more about it this afternoon. Roger, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. What was the inspiration behind I Remember? Well, Jeff asked me to do a fundraiser for um, the Alzheimer's Society. And um, I agreed because there's some people in my life that have gone through that process. Um, A young lady in particular who I think is far too young to be suffering all that goes along with that. In her early 50s, she found out she had it. And that's really sad. So, yeah, it matters to me. So that's why I got involved. And uh, it's a continuation of other things that we've done. I say we, there's another artist friend of mine, Bridget Dion, and I have been painting some doors in some of these uh, dementia wards. And they're very helpful. So art, I think, can play a role in helping this disease get uh, straightened out. It would be lovely to see it happen. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Because there's been more and more of that recently with artists working in hospitals and art ends up being a little bit of a therapeutic thing that helps patients get through what can be a very difficult time. I think it's usually therapeutic. You know, when you, I'm involved with the Bueller for the same reasons because the, the gallery at the Bueller allows people to just go relax and enjoy some fantastic images and and, and get their minds away from the immediate thing that's bothering them, you know? Bit of an escape. When it comes to doing paintings, for example, like these doors that we've painted with Brigitte, this one old guy kept on walking up to me and painting the door, and he says to me, and I go, excuse me, because he had his name tag. I'll call him Fred. I said, Fred, what, what, what's the problem? With, you don't like what I'm painting? Would you like me to paint a flower just for you in this little area? We can, we'd know where... And he, goes, and he kept on going back and forth, but after about an hour and a half, he started talking. And that was amazing. And that would never have happened with just me walking into that ward. That never would have happened. But because I had a paintbrush in my hands, some color, and I was doing something, it intrigued him, and a conversation happened. How amazing is that? There's definitely something to be said for the way that art can really open up people and really and really bring people together as well. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, there were other little names, other people that were there as well that, that gave me huge pleasure towards the end of the evening because there was reactions that was happening, and, and it made me realize that what I was doing mattered. So these paintings here are, are up for sale because a percentage of that money will go to the Alzheimer's Society to try to help find some kind of a solution. And whatever I can do to help, that will be fantastic, you know. They're all landscapes. They're all very calm landscapes. Uh, I chose them specifically because they're the kind of landscape you can just sort of walk into and lose yourself in. And I think that's so important because there's a huge calm in nature that is soothing. They, they preach it constantly. You need to get a way to replenish, go to Mother Nature. Well, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm giving that image. Uh, it's like bringing that to people if they can't necessarily, if, you know, if they're not necessarily there in that moment. They can kind of take themselves in that moment through your painting. Right. And then they, they, they have a chance to lose themselves for the tiniest little bit of time. And all those little bits help eventually to try to soothe the savage beast, as it were, you know? Yeah. So many of these paintings are spaces in rural Manitoba. 
Are there some that come up more frequently than other ones? Well, specifically southwestern Manitoba is where I've done a lot of my paintings in the escarpment and, and just uh, west of number two highway, number three highway, in that in that corner of the province. Because there's there's uh, there are the hills that go through there that uh, my grandfather was Swiss and he, he, he established it in Notre Dame. Well, you know, they, they call it the hills of Notre Dame, <laughs> you know, the little bumps, but whatever. Uh, he, if he found an elevation, he, that's where he went. That's where he put his, his roots in and whatnot. So, and that stuck with me, you know. So Carmen, Manitoba is very, uh, is a starting point. And then west of that again. And then the flat of the prairie. I just absolutely love the flat of the prairie. Thank you very much to Roger Lafreniere for speaking with me. And we'll hear more from him later on in the program. While I was at Fleet Galleries, I also had a chance to speak with its president, Jeff Gesenzer. He's hosted several fundraisers at Fleet Galleries, including exhibits benefiting Cancer Care Manitoba and kidney research at Seven Oaks General Hospital. The decision to hold his latest fundraiser in support of the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba was a very personal one for Jeff. He was very emotional as he explained how Alzheimer's affected clients he's known for 30 years, and how he hoped that Roger's paintings can help raise money to support those who are living with Alzheimer's and eventually find a cure. When I look at a painting like Roger's, I look for maybe a minute or so, then I close my eyes and then I can imagine myself in that painting, walking through or, or driving through and seeing the scenery and everything. These kind of paintings, they, they mean a lot to me. I've been to some of these places and it just gives me a good feeling to see Roger's paintings in my gallery. So we came up with a good collection and, and we're going to hope for the best. Thank you very much to Jeff Gesenzer of Fleet Galleries for speaking with me. And when we come back, we'll go on a tour of I Remember with Roger Lafreniere. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Here is Roger Williams with Saving All My Love for You, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. And before the break, we were speaking with artist Roger Lafreniere, whose exhibition called I Remember is opening this evening at Fleet Galleries in the Exchange District. After I chatted with Roger, he walked me through his artworks and explained the significance behind many of the beautiful landscapes that he's painted. I like the prairie specifically because of the vastness and the calm that exists. Most of the paintings look like they're prairie-based. There's a few exceptions here. but a few exceptions. The one that we're looking at here, which is uh, Lake Louise, is a friend of mine who went out to uh, do a family trip with three brothers, and they came back through Lake Louise, and he had taken a picture of that with his cell phone. He said, I saw it. I said, I get to come paint. He says, of course you can paint it. So but what I liked about that was the light, and it's just that piece of light that happens just before the sun busts through some mists, you know? Yeah. And, and it gets really bright out. That's the, and I'm, I nailed it, and I was like, I said, whoa, that was exciting. So that's why this mountain thing, because I don't typically paint mountains, but um, the image really, really drew me. Uh, southwestern Manitoba has been a draw of mine, and that's where these little hills are. Southwest off of number three highway, just past Carmen, in the escarpment, uh, I've done a lot of paintings in the escarpment. In this particular piece of road, uh, just as the road bends over there, there's a on the right-hand side, there's a, a cemetery for cars, and there's hundreds of old cars in there. It's a quite an amazing little space. The coloration, uh, I think, gives it a lot of energy, and it gives it that reality and that, that start of a conversation that I want the viewer to finish on his own. I'm not super realistic in my work because I think it's important that the viewer finish the image on their own using their life experiences, you know? I think that matters a lot. I also don't like to put things in my paintings that are man-made. I, I keep fences out of there, I keep posts out of there, I keep barns out of there. It's just, I just want it to be... I mean, sure, there's roads and there's fields and we know they've been worked, but... Yeah, no, no old buildings and stuff like that. It does nothing for me. It's just I like the cleanliness of, of the image, just the way it is, you know? What inspires you to paint a particular landscape? Well, these, these two small paintings that are in front of us. Uh, the top one uh, shows fires. Uh, fires on the prairies are not a very common thing. I was coming back in from the escarpment, just coming out of uh, Carmen, and on my right-hand side, which would have been cells, I saw these huge flames. And I went, I've, I've got to see what that is. So I, I hung right and went down that field. And uh, it took me like 10 minutes of driving to get there. It was quite a distance. And I realized that what they were burning was that whole row of, of trees, that, that whole windbreak. They had decided to take it down, open the fields, and burn it. Well, I'm talking fires that were 30 feet high. It's huge, it's amazing. And what struck me was, A, the sun was coming down, the light was getting beautiful, but what struck me is how, how do you describe that kind of scale? It's quite a bit of a challenge, you know? We've got this one called Solitary Tree here. Yeah, it's got one tree in it and a couple little bushes in the back. The one next to it has got very many more trees and three down there's another one there with trees. I just all of a sudden said to myself, those trees are so important because they have such character and they really break up the space in, in, in a delightful way, you know? As in the other ones that have got oranges and leaves and whatever, 
They also bring beautiful coloration to the landscape. So to not have trees, so I said to myself, we'll address them. I mean, talk about the trees. So that's what these are all about. It's about uh, trying to see how they sit and how to paint them. So sort of their place in the, in the overall landscape. Exactly. Without getting hung up with photographic displays of trees. It needs to speak of a tree, but that's all it needs to say, you know. Also, the grasses and the whatever textures that exist in the foreground, I think, become more prevalent. And on the simpler pieces, I have to say a little more about that kind of thing. I like the technique that you use there because you can, even though it's a still image, you can totally imagine the grasses just waving around in the wind. That's exactly what I'm trying to, to describe without getting photographic about the whole process. You know, just trying to ex- trying to send out the energy levels that I'm feeling when I'm painting this, you know. So that's, that's what's going to go up for sale this evening. And uh, hopefully uh, people will uh, want some for their spaces. And so everybody's absolutely welcome to come down. Absolutely. And the opening is this evening, July 13th, from 6.30 to 10 p.m. at Fleet Galleries on 65 Albert Street. So that's just the opening, but then the paintings will also be displayed throughout the month of July. Yes, I think they're here for two weeks, I do believe. If people want to learn more about your work, uh, how can they get more information? Well, they can either come to see Jeff at the gallery here, or they can uh, go to my website, which is uh, rogerlefrenier.com. Perfect. Roger, thank you so much for taking me on a tour of I Remember today. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Roger Lafreniere for speaking with me today. Coming up after the break, we'll be joined by Wendy Shetler, the CEO of the Alzheimer Society of Manitoba. Before we get to that, though, here is Matt Monroe with Love is a Many Splendored Thing, right here on River City 360. Love is a many splendored thing. It's the April rose that only grows in the early spring. Love is nature's way of giving A reason to be living The golden crown That makes a man a king Once on a heart morning mist two lovers kissed and the world stood still then your fingers touched my silent heart and taught it how to sing yes true Many splendid things Once on a high and windy hill 
in the morning mist Two lovers kissed And the world stood still Then your fingers touched My silent heart And taught it how to sing Yes, true love's a many splendor thing. Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Robert Zirk, and I am now joined in studio by Wendy Shetler. She is the CEO of the Alzheimer Society of Manitoba. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Robert. So first of all, tell us a little bit about the Alzheimer Society and what the organization does here in Manitoba. Well, the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba is a not-for-profit organization, and our goal really is to support people who are impacted by dementia. And so we've got 22,000 Manitobans right now with dementia, and for every person with dementia, we know we have at least two caregivers, and so that's a lot of Manitobans. Um, aside from that, we also know that there are many, many people who are also friends and family, so there are 43% of Manitobans who know somebody who have a family member with dementia. And the Alzheimer's Society provides education, counseling and support for families and individuals with dementia. We provide advocacy as well. We have some really great community programs. One of them is called Minds in Motion, where we work with community partners so that individuals who are impacted with dementia and their care partner can actually go out and participate in an activity, recreation, exercise program that also accommodates some of their changing needs. But it's not just for them, but it's also for their care partners so that they can also participate in something at the same time. And we also raise money to help fund for research. So there's a wide range of activities that we do. Could you speak to the importance of fundraising events like these and how those have a positive impact on the services that the Alzheimer's Society provides? Well, Robert, it has a huge impact on the services the Alzheimer's Society provides. The Alzheimer's Society has to raise 85% of our budget. So that's a lot of money. And we do that through events that we put on. We do that through fundraising activities um, and donations from others. But our third party, so this would we would consider a third party event. And so third party events last year raised about $41,000 for us. So that's really significant. That's fantastic. And sometimes it's $1,000 here, $500 there, $2,500 there, all from these types of activities. So, I mean, you can just imagine in, in this case, there's this fantastic art show that really links to people in Manitoba as well with with the kind of rural prairie kinds of scenes. Um, but we have lots of people who might accompany who might have jeans day or they might have a special lunch. Um, also, sometimes people have a wedding and instead of giving um, the gifts for the bride and groom, they send them all to the Alzheimer's Society, all of the donations. And so it's really amazing the things that people do. We also have uh, coffee breaks coming up um, in September, which is really a whole bunch of really third party events in lots of ways um, because people have their own coffee parties and they raise money for the Alzheimer's Society. There are golf tournaments going on. And what's so wonderful about these types of events is it's dollars that come into the Alzheimer's Society to help support the programs and services without the Alzheimer's Society having to put the resources in to do the work to run these events. And so it's pretty fantastic So for us in terms of the dollars really being able to go into programs and services. Could you speak to some of the events that the Alzheimer's Society puts on through its own organization? Sure. So in June, and you probably, you know, many of your listeners would probably have heard about our, our 
walk for Alzheimer's. And so in the month of June, we had Alzheimer's walks going on all over the all over the province. And that's our biggest biggest fundraiser, certainly. Um, in September, we have our coffee break. And, and again, those that's the coffee break is where we encourage businesses and, and individuals to have kind of coffee little parties. Or even if you're having your coffee breaks, putting out, you know, a collection and and gathering money for the Alzheimer's Society and giving it, uh, giving it to us that way. In January, we have our Awareness Month, but we also do a door-to-door campaign where we knock on doors and we have volunteers who are all going out knocking on doors to help raise money for us. So, you know, in February, we have a gala. So we're really busy um, finding different ways to, to raise money in order to do the work that um, is so needed. Thank you very much to Wendy Shetler, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, for joining me on the program today. And if you'd like to learn more, you can visit alzheimer.mb.ca. And we'll have more with Wendy on next week's episode of River City 360, where we'll discuss some of the risk factors of Alzheimer's and other dementias and what you can do to reduce them. So be sure to tune in to the show next week right here on 93.7 CJNU. Coming up after the break, we'll speak with Sandy Hopkins, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Manitoba. But before we get to that, here is Percy Faith with a song with a little bit of an unusual title, Um, 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 right here on River City 360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Robert Zirk, and I am now joined in studio by Sandy Hopkins. He is the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Manitoba. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Thank you for inviting us. 
So Habitat for Humanity, it's a well-known organization that helps build affordable housing internationally. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the Manitoba chapter in specific and some of the activities that Habitat does here in Manitoba? Sure. Last week, we celebrated our 30th anniversary. Uh, we were incorporated in, uh, in uh, late June of uh, 1987. Uh, we started building homes in 88 and have done so every year since. So initially, we were Habitat for Humanity Winnipeg, and we became Habitat Manitoba in 2011. Uh, we have uh, 14 uh, satellite uh, operations that we call chapters, one in Kenora and 13 in Manitoba, and the main place uh, operation is, is here in Winnipeg. That's uh, where the majority of our building takes place and where administration and uh, offices are located. During our, our history, if we include the homes that are underway this year, we will have built close to uh, 400 homes that we've sold to uh, families that go through a very rigorous uh, process to ensure that they meet the uh, criteria to be able to purchase the home, and that, that is a key piece. Uh, the families buy the homes at market value as determined by an independent third-party professional appraiser that uh, looks at the house and says that house on this lot in this part of the city is worth X number of dollars, and that's what the mortgage is. What makes it affordable for those families is that there's no down payment payment, no interest on the mortgage, and payments are geared to family income rather than property value. Now, we have uh, built in virtually every part of the city uh, except for a, a few locations, but uh, we have uh, uh, those homes are spread in many different areas. This year we've got a major project underway. Uh, we're welcoming uh, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter uh, back to Winnipeg. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to talk about that. So it's the 34th Jimmy and Rosalind Carter work project. So they were previously in Winnipeg in 1993, and they're actually coming back to Winnipeg as well as uh, doing a build in Edmonton as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the the, the uh, Carter Center has uh, loaned the Carters to Habitat for one week each year since 1984. Uh, the first time they built outside the U.S. was when they came to Winnipeg in '83 and '93 rather, and 18 homes were built. And since '93, they've gone a year about a year in the U.S. and a year somewhere else, and a year somewhere else is almost always. Uh, in developing countries and uh, Bangladesh and the Mekong Delta and uh, several places in, in Africa. And it's quite unusual for them to return somewhere where uh, they've already built. So we were thrilled to find out that, uh, that they would be coming back to Winnipeg. Uh, the pitch from Habitat Canada to Habitat International to have the Carters come back here was built around uh, Canada's 150th birthday, and we committed to build 150 homes in partnership uh, with the Carters. Uh, we would build in every province and every territory. We would build in every month of the year, and we would engage a minimum of 25,000 volunteers. The two sites, uh, main sites uh, of the, for those 150 homes and, and where the Carters will actually be building are Edmonton and here. Uh, so, so the Carters are, are, were in Edmonton uh, the first part of this week, and are here now uh, and will be with us through the end of the week. And we have a significant number of people coming out each day to build. The first three days this week, we have had uh, 500 people per day on site, 400 building and 100 uh, acting in a variety of support roles uh, for those uh, builders. Uh, And we'll have those same numbers uh, today and tomorrow. The Carters have uh, graciously agreed to uh, attend and participate in a fundraising luncheon that we're doing with them today uh, at the Viscount Gort. And then the uh, closing ceremonies uh, to wrap up their week in Canada will be at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights at the end of the day Friday. One of the commitments we made uh, to the Carters, uh, if, if they would come back to Canada, is that we would designate a significant portion of the homes uh, to Indigenous families. Uh, and nationally, uh, we're doing 30% of the 150 homes are Indigenous. 
indigenous here in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba, we're doing 40%. So we're doing 25 homes as our commitment to the 150 uh, total, and uh, 10 of those 25 are for indigenous families. What does it mean to the organization to have figures as prominent as Jimmy and Rosalind Carter to come here uh, and help not only build houses but raise awareness? Uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, the excitement about the Carters returning to Winnipeg uh, is wonderful for the organization and, and for the community. Uh, we have uh, seen a significant number of new donors uh, join us this year uh, to provide support because the Carters are coming. And we're seeing that very much with the luncheon that we're hosting today as well. And many of the tables have been sold to uh, organizations that uh, do a lot of good work in the community but have not worked with Habitat as yet. And so we're delighted to welcome them to our fold. And the Carters are so gracious uh, with their time. Um, we've just uh, completed a media uh, interview with them uh, on site. Uh, and they're also doing some additional uh, media interviews uh, tomorrow. So they're very gracious with uh, with their time. But they also work very hard on site. And uh, we have to remember that uh, they are 92 and 89 years of age. Wow. Uh, and they come out to that site first thing in the morning. And they're there till the end of the day. Uh, and while they do interrupt the workday to do these other things, for us to help us uh, with our messaging in the community. Uh, they're really there to work and, uh, and they're an inspiration to all of us. Absolutely. So the Carter Work Project in Winnipeg is part of a Canada 150 initiative because the 25 homes that are built here yeah, are part of the 150, exactly. Yeah, so we have a, a significant percentage of the, of the homes being built nationally are being built here in, in Manitoba. And of, of the 25 that we're, uh, we're doing, uh, 21 are here in Winnipeg, two are in Portage and two are in Brandon. I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on some of the Habitat for Humanity programs, because there was one thing in my research, the Habitat for Humanity Restore. And yep. I knew of the Restore, yep. but I had no idea that the project actually began, that the first Restore began in Winnipeg. It, it did. Uh, Habitat's a very complex organization. We're actually in five different operating businesses uh, here in, uh, in Manitoba, and uh, none of those take into account uh, what uh, we're, we're probably known for, and that is fundraising and uh, organizing and uh, coordinating and managing uh, large pools of volunteers. Uh, but one of those uh, businesses is the Restore, and uh, Restore, we have two locations in Winnipeg, at 60 Archibald in the corner of Ellison Wall. We have another store in Brandon. And we sell new and used materials that are donated to us. Uh, much of it has to do with home renovation, home decor, but often they get much further afield than that. Uh, we have sold uh, mannequins and uh, fake palm trees and cars and boats and motors. So if uh, someone wants to donate it and it still has some use in it, we're happy to do that. Uh, the uh, proceeds, the profits from the store, are what we use to cover our administration overhead costs. So that when someone makes a donation to Habitat, that money goes in its entirety into the build program. Uh, and uh, so we're one of the few charities that's figured out a way to pay for ourselves without having to dip into those fundraising dollars. And the Restore was, as you mentioned, invented in Winnipeg. And uh, that's a, a serendipitous story that we may not have time for in this interview, but, uh, but perhaps at another time. But uh, it has become so successful that there are now uh, more than 1,000 uh, Restore outlets, including 100 of them in Canada alone. And for the last several years, uh, Restore has been the single largest source of cash for Habitat for Humanity globally and will contribute something close close to $200 million into the organization this year, and yes, invented right here in Winnipeg. Wow, that's wonderful. So definitely a great way, if you're doing a home renovation, 
that's a great way to not only find some great materials, but yeah. also to support Habitat for Humanity. And to save a bunch of money. Uh, we, we sell uh, used materials uh, very inexpensively, and anything that we get that's new, and about half of what we sell is new, we typically sell it for half of retail. Uh, and so we look at what the retail value of the product is and, uh, and, and uh, slice it in half, and, and that's, uh, that's our sticker price. In the, in the course of, uh, of what we do, uh, we will divert this year something close to 3 million pounds from landfill sites because virtually everything that we sell, if we didn't take it and repurpose it, uh, would, would end up in a dumpster in, in, in the landfill site. Uh, so if you extrapolate that across the country, if uh, uh, the two stores here in Winnipeg are diverting uh, 3 million pounds and we've got 100 of them across the country, it gives you a sense of just uh, how, what an important environmental uh, contribution the ReStore makes uh, to our communities. That's awesome. So if people are listening to this and they want to get involved and help out with some of the builds that are going on, are they still able to help out with the builds that are taking place this week, or how can they no, get involved? Uh, with? D- definitely not this week, uh, but we will be having volunteers on site at our main location uh, on uh, St. James, in St. James on Lyle Street, but we also will have uh, four ancillary sites that we're building in Winnipeg, and as I said, uh, also in Brandon and Portage, uh, and we will have volunteers at all of those locations through August, uh, September, and October, so if anyone is interested in volunteering, they can go Go to our website, uh, habitat.mb.ca, and uh, sign up to come out and build with us. We'd love to have you help. Wonderful. So as Sandy said, if you'd like to learn more about Habitat for Humanity or volunteer your time for an upcoming build that's taking place here in the city, you can visit habitat.mb.ca for more information. Or is there a phone number that people can call as well? The uh, main line is 204-233-5160. And then there's a series of menu options to take you where you wish to be. Perfect. Sandy Hopkins, he's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Manitoba. Thank you again so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you very much to Sandy Hopkins for speaking with me today. And if you'd like to learn more about Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, you can visit habitat.mb.ca. Coming up after the break, we've got back-to-back conversations with the hosts of A Winnipeg Slice. You may have heard them Monday through Friday twice a day right here on CJNU, bringing us interesting stories, one piece of Winnipeg at a time. First off, Christine Ahrens joins us to talk about an interesting new book, and uh, if you're good at solving puzzles, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for this story. But before we speak to Christine and Christy, here is Lobo with me and you and a dog named Boo, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Christine Ahrens. She is one half of the duo that hosts and produce A Winnipeg Slice. Christine, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So last week on the show, uh, you spoke with Dr. Frank Albo. He is a Canadian architectural historian and a writer who's very well known for his work with the Hermetic Code. Yeah, for sure I did. So like you said, uh, Dr. Albo, he's best known for his work with the Hermetic Code. Uh, he even does a tour every Wednesday at the Ledge, which I definitely recommend. He is really interesting to listen to. He's very passionate about what he does. But what I actually ended up talking to him about was his newest book. It's called Astana, Architecture, Myth, and Destiny. And I'll let him tell you about how he first got involved with this book. So I have a penchant for looking for mysteries. So when I first stumbled upon uh, Astana, the capital city of Kazakhstan, which is full of uh, architectural wonders and feats of engineering, unlike any other place on earth, um, I was motivated by the symbols, themes, and allegories in the city. So that, that started my quest. I began uh, a, a four-year intense, obsessive investigation into the capital city, well, probably the strangest capital city on earth, the capital of Kazakhstan. So Dr. Albo started looking at all these different symbolism in Astana, and if you listen to Winnipeg Slice this morning, you already know that his book looks at a few different buildings that are once in the shape of a pyramid, once in a sphere, once an all-seeing eye, and these things, they generally lead you to think about one thing. Can so, you think what that is? Sounds like the uh, sort of the symbolism of the, maybe the Illuminati? Exactly. So that's what Dr. Alpha was thinking. So he's intrigued and he started visiting Astana, um, doing lots of research, and he started to learn about a few of the tragedies that the city faced. This is largely unknown in Western historiography that uh, the region of Kazakhstan, what we today, the area defined as Kazakhstan, went through the, the most horrible 20th century imaginable. Uh, number one, it was a site of these infamous gulags. These were concentration camps that were invented by uh, Stalin. Number two is that the Soviet Union was secretly detonating nuclear weapons there. So about 500 secret nuclear tests were conducted on the soil of Kazakhstan with untold uh, radiation devastation to the, both the soil and the, uh, the populations of the region. And then number three is that arguably the world's most devastating environmental disaster was the drying up of the Aral Sea. This was a, a, a teeming uh, sea full, full of fish. The disaster of this project resulted in about 14.5 million deaths of Kazakh people. 40% of its population perished in a famine, a, a, like a god-awful famine. It was a site of nuclear tests, and um, it was a site of concentration camps. And today, in, if you were to look at the capital city surrounding this region, you would see a utopia, like a kind of Disneyland on national steroids. It's unbelievable what they built in a period of about uh, 20 years. Wow, so that definitely sounds like a very interesting city. And in your Winnipeg Slice episode this morning, you actually mentioned how his book can lead you to potentially winning $30,000? Yeah, actually, it's super exciting. Uh, he decided to create a challenge. He's so passionate about what he does that he wants more people to see how crazy the city is. So he created the Astana Challenge. You flip through his book in the pictures and what he's written, you can find clues that he's left for you. These clues, when you solve it, it reveals a secret message. And the first person to come to him with the message uh, or group of people it doesn't have to be individual uh, 
when you solve it, you win an all-expense-paid trip to Astana. It's valued valued at thirty thousand um, dollars. It's a huge opportunity to go to a city that just sounds incredible. And if you want to learn more about it, just head over to astanamyth.com slash challenge. Um, otherwise, he even has a movie trailer on YouTube. You can check that out and it gives you uh, a really exciting look into what the city's all about. Wow, sounds very interesting. I'll have to have to go out there and, and buy a book. And definitely something if you're uh, any of our listeners out there are into puzzles and solving clues like these, this might be right up your alley. So definitely go and check that out. Astanamyth.com forward slash challenge is the URL. Christine, thank you again so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks very much to Christine Ahrens for sharing your Winnipeg Slice story with us today. And now we have Christine's Winnipeg Slice co-host, Christy Nickel, who joins us now to talk about a noon hour program called Walking in Winnipeg. Christy, tell us a little bit more about the program. Yeah, so it's going to be happening every week at lunch hour. Uh, they meet in the Goldeye Stadium parking lot. So it's easy for anyone who's working downtown to go down for 30 minutes, get active. Um, Jordan Sisawa, uh, who I spoke to about this, is a workplace health and wellness expert, and he expands on why this initiative is important and how it got started. If you look at things like participation, they're telling us that 20% of our population gets enough exercise, and that, again, includes just getting 30 minutes of, of walking. So if only 20% of our population is hitting that, we wanted to give them something that, that was a fun time, a big group, and just getting outdoors in Winnipeg. So it's free for everyone to join in. It's only 30 minutes and it gives you a much needed active break from your day. So really it's a win-win-win situation. Absolutely. And it's so important to be active, especially if you happen to be working in a job where you know, you're sitting for a large portion of the day. It's it's such a good idea to go out there and take breaks. And especially if you can use a lunch break like that to totally. yeah. go and, and get a quick workout in. Definitely helps in, in so many levels. So many people are at different levels of fitness. Did Jordan kind of address how that would work exactly? Yeah, so he's he's also known as Fit City Jordan on social media because he's a personal trainer and he knows a lot about personal health and fitness. So he's going to be a part of these walks to make sure that everyone's doing it safely and and everyone is having fun but otherwise he just he just wants everybody to feel welcome and enjoy themselves we're going for 30 minutes because we want it to be open to absolutely anyone so we're we're meeting at 1205 and we're starting with a stretch and we're going to have a ton of fun the whole point of this is to have fitness experts there to make people enjoy the walk to tell jokes to have fun so it's for any fitness level it's really going after the mental health aspect of this we want people to have that break in their day where they're just going for a walk enjoying the company of others not talking about the work day we want to mixing with tons of different businesses so you're 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 learning and you're meeting new people and like i say we're going to have some laughs that's awesome and it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities for people to just get out and meet one another and network a little bit yeah, exactly. And the charity putting this on is really cool too. If you haven't heard of Project Echo, please keep listening because they're they're an absolutely amazing group of people. Jordan was really excited to tell me more about them as well. I would love to tell people about Project Echo. It's one of the um, unsung heroes in in the in the province and especially in Winnipeg. You've got you've got a charity that started in 2003, founded by Jeff Fisher, and and Fish does a lot of work with pro athletes. Um, he's in Winnipeg is known as one of the better strength coaches and works out of elite. And the group does 
things in all spaces. So they've got, you know, a ton of work down at uh, Lighthouse Mission where they actually remodeled the kitchen so that they could serve better and serve more people. They redid the storage room there so they could have more food on hand. Um, they've constantly got uh, great, uh, tons of amounts of, of shoes ready for kids in school so that if a kid doesn't have shoes or they're sharing with a, a brother or sister, they can get their own pair of shoes. They've got programs to get jackets on the backs of, of Winnipeg's homeless. It's a phenomenal amount of work that they put in. That's wonderful. It's awesome that initiatives like this can raise awareness for great charities that are doing such great work like Project Echo. Yeah, uh, they're so dedicated to building a better Winnipeg and helping people achieve a better quality of life. And I think that's where the Walking in Winnipeg initiative uh, really fits in. It's a healthier you, which ultimately leads to a happier you. So I think it's great. Excellent. So be sure to check out the Walking in Winnipeg initiative. It sounds like a great way to get some fresh air and get a little bit of exercise. It's happening twice a week starting July 18th, and it starts off at the Shaw Park parking lot at 120 Pioneer. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to Christy Nickel of A Winnipeg Slice for speaking with me about Walking in Winnipeg today. And if you'd like to hear a Winnipeg Slice, be sure to tune in to 93.7 CJNU every Monday through Friday at both 8.30 a.m. and 5.38 p.m. That's right here on 93.7 CJNU. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Noah Ehrenberg. He is the convener of Community News Commons, Winnipeg Citizen Journalism website. Noah, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. So every week we have you on the program to talk about some of the latest stories that have been published at Community News Commons. What are some of the biggest stories that are on CNC this week? Well, I really like the um, story that Gregory McNeil uh, wrote about uh, the Canada Summer Games that are coming up and the the team that uh, Manitoba is going to field in terms of uh, cycling. Uh, Gregory McNeil, as some of our readers and listeners may have uh, remembered, um, he wrote a number of articles uh, uh, a couple of years ago and uh, last year on the cycling community and a lot of events in Winnipeg with regards to cycling. And then uh, I hadn't heard from him for a while. And um, it was great to uh, to hear from him again and to see that he was writing some articles for Community News Commons. And this one is about uh, the team that Manitoba will uh, have with regards to cycling when it comes to the Canada Games. And he talks to some of the, uh, the uh, athletes in the community of how Manitoba has such a great development program uh, when it comes to cycling that that's the reason why we can field such a uh, incredibly talented uh, cycling team. So uh, Gregory, uh, in addition to being a great writer, he's a terrific photographer. So I would encourage our listeners to go to communitynewscommons.org, check out um, his article called Gearing Up for Canada Summer Games, read his, uh, his article, and check out the beautiful photos of a race that he shot last uh, week uh, which was over at uh, Grand Point Race uh, Series uh, last week. Uh, the local Manitoba Cycling Association has their annual Grand Point Race Series. So, so check it out. Uh, Gregory McNeil called Gearing Up for Canada Games uh, on communitynewscommons.org. Excellent. Now, every week on the program, we like for you to bring in a song by a local artist. What song do you have for us this week? Well, this week I wanted to uh, um, I wanted to feature a local uh, singer songwriter, bilingual singer songwriter. His name is Justin Lacroix. Uh, he's um, he's sort of a blend of folk rock and blues. He's been around for a while, more than ten years now. He got together back in two thousand five with uh, Joel Perrault and uh, Joel Couture. 
uh, and Ivan Burke to form the Just- Justin Lacroix band, and they've been playing together for a while. He's had a number of albums. Justin has had a number of albums over the last few years, and I wanted to um, let you know that you can see him at the St. Pierre Jolie Frog Follies that are coming up um, this weekend. Um, uh, you can see him Saturday night, uh, July the 15th, Sunday night, July the 16th. That's at St. Pierre Jolie, and it's a, a great little event. Justin Lacroix will be there, and I wanted to play um, a number from uh, one of his earlier albums, and this uh, song by Justin Lacroix is called What's This Beauty? And you're listening to River City 360 with Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJMU. If you told me you would have be my all, I'd have to let you be. Now mine be yours, yours is the only one for you to be. If you told me you would leave, I'd have to let you be. Say who or where you ought to be. It's all a part of your story of how you've come to be. Time for you to tell your story. You are where you ought to be. Forgive me if this isn't what you want from me. This is what you get right now, it's exactly what you need. Forgive me, you're the one you're sitting free. Forgive me and set yourself free. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit us at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, Views and News from Around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please give us a call or send us an email. Our listener line is open 24-7. You can call 204-944-9474, extension 360, and leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. You can also send us an email at rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. And the phone number again, if you'd like to leave a message on our listener line, is 204-944-9474, extension 360. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can search at RiverCity360 on Twitter, or search for RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for River City 360. Thank you again very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.